I'd like to invite all of you to uh, turn with me in your Bibles to uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 3. We'll be reading verses 3, uh, excuse me, 3, 16 through 17. That's John chapter 3, 16 through 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. At this time, it is our privilege to uh, welcome our guest speaker today, uh, Elder Eddie Heinrich. And uh, Eddie is uh, the youth director director for the conference. And uh, the message he's going to share with us today is, How Hard Can It Be? Good morning. morning. I just have to tell you, I get to speak a lot of places and go, go a lot of places. And it's good to be here this morning because I grew up in a church just like this. And it's so, I don't know about you, but sometimes it's really nice to have a traditional church service and to just, this is really great. Thank you for letting me come and be a part of your church service this morning. Um, thank you. I, you know, I get to uh, play a lot because that's kind of my job as a youth, youth pastor. Um, I get to uh, hang out at a place called Leone Meadows. I don't know if you guys know, you guys know about Leone Meadows. Yeah? Good. You know, we are so delighted this summer to have, um, we had over 1,900 campers this, this year in, in seven weeks. Uh, it was full. We had 630 people during family camp. That meant that every bed was full all week. That meant that every campsite was filled, every cabin was filled, and we even made some campsites up so that people could camp that wanted to be there really, really bad. So just a little bit of, that's the good news about that, and uh, part of the good news. The other good news is for teen camp this year, we had we had almost, a little over 100 teen campers there, I think 135 or so. On Sabbath morning, the Leone pool turned into the biggest baptistry in Northern Cal. We had 12 teenagers baptized Sabbath morning during teen camp. Um, you know, God is so good. Because um, as you know, teenagers are almost as hard as us adults to tell anything to and so um, when you when and they came they, several of them kids came and said you know I came last summer and I heard the camp pastors talk and he, they said we wanted to be baptized last summer but it just didn't work out and they came saying please will you baptize me at the end of the week and so the, the camp pastor during one of their class periods had a baptismal class all week long um, and it was so amazing to watch these young young people just eat up the word of God um, so and that was kind of exciting to be a part of. Um, my brother, Pastor Craig, is the camp director up there. And so he lets me come up and hang out with him during the summer so that I can, uh, so I can work up there. Um, another cool thing that you may or may not have known about, but a year ago, March, and I'm going back a little bit because in the last 20 years, this has never happened in this union. But last March, Pathfinders in the Pacific Union got together for a camporee. It's the first time in 20 years. We didn't have very much faith. So those of us that were planning it, we, we were hoping for 2,500 people. We ended up with just shy of 6,000 people. Um, you know, 
that was pretty amazing because we didn't know what to do with them all. Uh, we were, we were kind of cramped in our space and, and, and we had to put the showers like a mile away, literally. Um, and, uh, so, but we had almost 6,000 people there. Um, and that was just amazing. Last weekend, we had our Pathfinder Leadership Convention um, up at Leone Meadows, and we had over 53 Pathfinder clubs represented that weekend, and there were almost, I want to say 25 or 30 adventurer clubs represented there for the weekend. Um, just just want to give you a little update about what's happening youth ministry-wise in, in Northern Cal. Uh, oh, yeah, sorry, an adventure club. An adventure club, I believe, starts at age five and goes up to the Pathfinder age of, of just, just shy of 10. So it's, it's, it's not... Pathfinders, if you're a parent, you, you take your child, you drop them off, and, well, they want you to stay and help, but most parents just take their kids and drop them off for Pathfinders, and the Pathfinder director and a few brave souls um, spend, spend some time teaching them about Jesus, teaching them camp craft and all of that. Adventurers is where you invite parents to come, and they, they stay. They don't leave. They don't, it's, not, it's not babysitting so they can go out to eat. This is where the parents come with their kids and for, for between 5 and 10 years old, and they teach them about Jesus. They have chips that are just like patches that you put for Pathfinder, except for their age appropriate. And it's a really neat thing to invite community members to, um, as well as your own church. Um, I was the youth director in Kansas, Nebraska before I came here, and there was a little church down in southern Kansas, and there were three little old ladies and five little old guys that were the church. That was it. Good flu season would have ended the church. Um, and, and that wasn't, it, it, was, it was really sad because those faithful souls got up every Sabbath morning. And, and Kansas still has, has winter occasionally. And in a blizzard, they'd get up and they'd go over and they'd fire up the furnace and they'd make sure it was all hot and warm in there. And it was just these little eight people. Well, one day a family moved into town. Actually, two families. Two families moved into town. Uh, they were gonna. There was a prison there, and they were Adventists, and they were working at the prison, and they came in to work there. Well, they each had a couple of kids, and uh, they decided that they wanted to have youth ministry at their church. So they started a Pathfinder Club for their five kids. Well, those five kids went around, and it's a small town, so they could do this in a couple of nights. They went around to every house in town. They handed out little brochures that said, hey, on Tuesday nights at 7 o'clock, we're going to have a Pathfinder Club. And they explained what a Pathfinder Club was. Well, the next week, they had 20 kids show up at Pathfinders. Well, it's kind of cool. When you have 20 kids show up at Pathfinders, guess what? Mom and Dad want to check things out. So I showed up one day when they were doing their investiture. That's where they give out the honors and the badges and all the stuff that go with that. And they had a, they had a Pinewood Derby. Well, there were over 60 people in church that Tuesday evening. Because these two families started a Pathfinder Club, and it was an outreach. Um, that story can be repeated in, in many places here in Northern, too. Not quite as dramatically, because we don't have as many small churches like we do in Kansas. But there are lots of places where Pathfinders and Adventurers and Eager Beavers are being used as an outreach to help the community realize that Adventists believe in Jesus, and that Adventists believe in a soon-coming Savior, and so it's really neat to watch these Pathfinder Clubs and the Adventure Clubs um, thrive and grow. Um, and, and like I said, they're, they're not just babysitting for our kids. They're, they're an outreach for the community, uh, which is very exciting uh, because, like I said, if you can get the young people to come, mom and dad are going to come check it out because they're not going to just let their kids wander off to some weird thing in some church in Fort Bragg. They're going to want to come see it. They're going to want to. They're going to want to be a part of it. 
So anyway, just, it's just kind of fun. And then um, I got to tell, tell you a little miracle story that happened this week. Um, and, if we, and if I tell stories the whole time, it's okay because Jesus told stories. If you look, Jesus didn't really preach much. He told a lot of stories. Um, the, um, this week, we, um, well, last, well, a couple weeks ago, we've, we've been working on having our Pathfinder Campery at Lake Mendocino, which we've done for 35 years. We've done it for years and years and years, long before I was here. Anyway, um, the Army Corps of Engineers um, is cha- in transition there, and their, their director wasn't there. And then a new director hadn't really arrived yet. And so we've been having trouble getting our permit. And so I announced last week up at the camp part, uh, Pathfinder Convention that maybe we weren't going to be able to go there this year because of this issue. Long and short of it is, um, one of my youth pastors um, happened to be having guitar lessons with one of his students and was talking to the parent afterward, who happens to be a club director from a church that hadn't come. And, and she said, say that again, we're not going to be able to have our camp re at Lake Mendocino because we can't get the permit. And he goes, yeah. She goes, well, we happen to know a two-star general back in Washington, D.C., who happens to be in charge of the Armored Corps of Engineers, and let's see what we can do. <laughs> well, guess what? We have a permit now. <laughs> because the two-star general called the one-star general, who called the little ranger out at the lake and said, um, it's, uh, it's really important that you do this. And not only is it who you know, but you know, I believe that Jesus helped my youth pastor have that conversation and that all worked out. So we're rejoicing that God uses people um, to do his work. And that's really amazing. So anyway, um, the title of my sermon this morning is How Hard Can It Be? How hard can it be to be saved? You know, I grew, I'm a fifth generation Adventist. And I used to be really proud of that. And I am still proud of it in a way. But I'm not proud of it because we, should be not, we shouldn't be here still. We shouldn't be here still because Jesus should have already come. And I believe that one of the reasons why we are still here is because we are not preaching the first angel's message, which is? I'm sorry? Go to all the world and do what? Preach the, the gospel. The gospel. The good news of salvation. Oftentimes we get caught up in the 2300 days, which is important. Oftentimes we get caught up in the Sabbath, which is really important. Often we get caught up in the state of the dead, which is important. We get caught up in all of the doctrines, but we forget the most crucial piece of everything, which is the gospel, the cross of Christ. John 3.16, and I just want to remind you again, it was read so nicely this morning, but John 3.16 said, For God so loved the world that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Okay. But usually Adventists and every other Christian stops right there. We don't read verse 17 typically, which is more important in my opinion than verse 16. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. I have a son. I have two children, two sons. Um, and one of, my, one of my sons, and I can tell you it's on my calendar now, it's one of the darkest days in my life. It's uh, January 8th. This year at 4.30 in the afternoon, I walked into my house, up, well, not, well, not my house, but where we stay at Leone Meadows when I'm there, and my wife. And by the way, if you aren't married yet, remember when you get married to just listen to your wife 
And if you are married and you don't listen to your wife, just start doing that because she's right. <laughs> just, just, just go with it now if she's right. Um, I walked into my house at, at 4.30 in the afternoon. I had been down at the cl- challenge course running the zip line with my, with, with my brother and some other people for the pastors. And I walked in and my wife says to me, she goes, you know, your son's been sick for 10 days. He's been on two different courses of antibiotics and he's still really sick. In fact, she said, you know, he sleeps all the time. He's very, he's very lethargic and you need to take him to the doctor now. I said, no, come on, he's just sick, he's a kid, he's got, he's got the flu, he's had the flu, he'll get over it. She goes, no, no, just look. And I just looked over there and I go, he's just sick, he's just, I got things to do. Well, that's not how I negotiate with my wife anymore. Um, but um, she goes, no, she goes, you need to take him to the doctor. And I said, okay, look, we can do one of two things. I can drive all the way home, which is two and a half hours, and he can go see the doctor at the urgent care that he saw two weeks ago, because his pediatrician wasn't available, or I can take him to the ER. I take him to the ER, we're going to be there all night long, and I'm not really excited about that. She goes, I don't care what you do, but you need to go now. I'm like, okay. So I got on the phone, and I called the urgent care, and I said, is, is Dr. So-and-so there and this evening? And they said, yes. I said, well, then, okay, so I'm going to go. So I hopped in the car with my son. He's, he's four years old. And uh, we started the drive, the two-and-a-half-hour drive home. About halfway down the hill from Lady Meadows, I, I realized that he was asleep, and you know Kids and people sleep differently. You can kind of tell when they're sick how they sleep. And he was into a really deep sleep. It was deeper than usual. So I finally, I reached back and I patted his leg and tried to wake him up and he didn't wake up. So I reached back and I pinched him and he kind of woke up a little bit. And I'm like, okay, he's still alive. That's good. And so I kept going and we got down the hill and it was getting late. It was, it was, it was dark and we got over to, the, to what used to be our arena. And I looked back and he started to wake up and I said, hey, Kyler, you want something to eat? He goes, yeah, Dad, I'm hungry. I said, hey, would you like a grilled cheese sandwich from In-N-Out? Yeah. He doesn't like grilled cheese sandwiches from In-N-Out. He hates them. Uh, but he agreed, so I knew that this was the moment. So I pulled in In-N-Out, and by the time I got from the ordering to the drive-up where they handed me my food, he was asleep again. So I pinched him again to wake him up because he wouldn't wake up, and, and uh, I said, hey, you want your sandwich? He goes, okay. He goes, did you get me some chocolate milk? I said, I think I got you milk. I don't know. And um, so I gave it to him. And he wouldn't even eat it. He just fell asleep again in the back of the car, which is unusual. Four-year-olds don't usually do that, at least not mine. Um, mine are pretty, pretty much like their dad was, just... Um, so anyway, so I get him up to the urgent care, and I, and I realize, oh, another, number two, always have a good relationship with your mother-in-law. Those two things are really important. I made a mistake once of not inviting my mother-in-law when something big was happening in our, in our lives uh, to, medically, and, and I didn't mention it to her, and that got me a lot of trouble. So I called her about 15, 20 minutes out of, from home, and I said, hey, if you'd like, I'd be really be great, grateful if you'd come to the urgent care and hang out with Kyler and I while, we, while we're at the doctor. Well, she was waiting for me at the, at the urgent care when I got there. So anyway, we, we go in, and, we, and they, didn't, they didn't make us wait long because I, I told them he was, um, he was really sick, and, they, and they, they wouldn't make me wait long. And we went in, and we sat down, and I started talking to the doctor. He goes, all right, we tried this, and uh, it didn't work. Because the first time, for after three days, the first time, he started throwing up his antibiotics. So I thought, well, it's just because it's a liquid, and he's like me. I can't take liquids. And so I thought, well, maybe we should just try a different antibiotic or a different delivery method. So his doctor agreed, and they prescribed a different one. Well, he, after about three days, he started throwing up again. Another thing that was interesting about this situation is um, he was drinking lots and lots of fluid. Um, in fact, in one day, he drank over a gallon of water, which three-year-olds don't do that. I don't even do that except on a mission trip. 
Um, and so we started talking to the doctor and we started just chatting back and forth. And finally the doctor goes, um, you know, we've done this, we've done this, we've done this. You know, how about, do you think you could get him to pee right now? And I said, Tyler, can you pee? Yeah, dad. When a four-year-old says they can do that, you just go, okay. So we ran across the hall into the bathroom and, and we came back. And normally when you do that, it takes 15, 20, 30, 40 minutes for the results to come back. I mean, to doctors are busy. I, I get it. Four minutes later, the doctor was standing there in his office in his white coat. And he looks at me and he goes, sir, I don't know how to tell you this, but your son's diabetic. And by the way, you're going to the hospital now. I said, okay, all right. And he said, we're going to have you just drive over to the hospital over here in Marysville. And, uh, and then we'll, have him, we'll get him stabilized. And I said, stabilized, huh, okay. And then, we're gonna, then we'll ship him down to the Children's Hospital in Sacramento. And I looked at the doctor and I said, by the way, would you send your child over to the hospital of death in Marysville? Because it's ride out hospital and hopefully nobody's going to be offended, but typically people walk in and ride out um, at that hospital. And I don't know if that's true, but that's the joke that goes around our town. Um, it's not, supposedly it's not a very good hospital. And I said to, my, said to the doc, I said, would you take him there or would you drive to Sacramento? And he goes, well, I can't tell you that. So I said, okay, let me ask the question a different way. If you were me, and you were a parent, would you, would you take him to the hospital or would you take him to Sacramento? And would I hurt him? He goes, no, you won't hurt him, but you should take him now. I said, all right, you make the arrangements, I'm on my way. We arrived at the hospital just as Kyler, my son, was going into a coma um, because he was in pretty bad shape and I didn't know this. Um, in fact, I hadn't even called my wife to tell her that he was that sick. Um, I just kind of figured I'd get through it. And then, so I'm sitting in the ER and the doc's telling me all the things that could go wrong. Like he could, his brain could swell and he could die and all these other things. I finally said, is this the point where I call my wife? And he's like, um, I would have called her already. I'm like, well, then I'll just call her right now. So at two in the morning, we finally get my little boy Kyler into the hospital. And you know what? People can go from life to death and back and just like that, it seems like, at least with this particular case. Because two days later, he was out of the hospital, and he's been acting fine just since. Now, the reason I tell you that is because my life has changed. I now have to watch everything this, he eats, and I have to account for it. We've changed out what we eat. Uh, we've changed all those things because he's, he's type 1 diabetic, and it just we have to do all of those things. And he gets, every finger gets poked at least once a day. He gets five little shots every, every day in his backside or his, his tummy. And the reason I'm telling you that is because Jesus came down to this world to die for him, okay? And if I was a little boy who went from being carefree and could eat whatever he wanted anytime he wanted to having to watch what I eat and get poked with a needle five times a day and all of that, I don't think I would handle it very well. One time since January 8th has my little boy ran away from me when I went to get the needle to give him his pinch. One time. And this summer at camp, he was sitting beside me in, 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 at, at campfire. And, I, and I'm watching the staff, and I'm watching the kids, and I'm not paying attention. And I hear this little voice going, All I want is I, or all I know is I'm not home yet. This is not where I belong. Take my life and give me Jesus. And I'm like, I just started crying. Because here's this little boy who's four years old. He gets the gospel. He understands that, that Jesus, the, the master of the universe, the creator of everything, 
loves him unconditionally with, with, in fact, Jesus would have come and died at Calvary just for him. That is the most amazing news that we, can, that we can ever have in our life. And guess what? We don't do a very good job of telling everybody else about it. We, we get so caught up in, and, 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 I, and I, I, please don't, don't go away thinking I don't believe in the core Adventist message, because I do. I believe in the cross of Christ. That's the core Adventist message. And, the par- and viewed in, as part of that, the Sabbath. The Sabbath is so beautiful. It's so beautiful, and yet often we use it like a baseball bat to tell people they're, they're, that they're evil and they're horrible and they're worshiping on the wrong day instead of saying, look, the Sabbath is so beautiful because of, of what it represents. It represents the seven days of creation. It points forward to the second coming of Jesus. It points forward to the day that God gives us to rest on, to, to, to stop everything and to worship the creator. I loved Sabbath in college because guess what? I didn't have to study on Sabbath. There was no guilt. There was no shame. There was nothing. Friday night, lights, lights, you know, when when the sun went down, oh, praise Jesus. Hallelujah. Because I didn't have to do any more studying. And, 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 but the moment sundown came on Saturday night, it was like, my first year in college is I, I was a biology major, and I, man, every Saturday night, my girlfriend was in California, I was in Nebraska, and so every Saturday night, I was just, just studying, because I knew how important good grades were going to be. Um, but the Sabbath, I mean, we get, we, but before you can talk to people about the Sabbath, before you can talk to them about how amazing the fact is that the state of the dead, that people are asleep, they're not up in he- heaven watching how, uh, how we mess up our lives, and how they're going to sleep until Jesus comes. You know, I, we, we put my, the only grandmother I've ever known in the ground last week. And I look forward to the day when Jesus is going to come. So, so Grandma Esther, Grandma Wood is going, to, is going to come out of that. Just, you know, I can hardly wait. I can hardly wait. But before we can tell them about that, we have to tell them about Jesus. And how much he loves them. And how much he's coming how, how much he wants to come back and take us home with him. Because if you don't do that, then this other is not important to them. I love my church. I love the message of my church. And I love the message of the gospel, which is the center of our church. We are Seventh-day Adventists, which means... We are looking for, we worship on Sabbath and we are looking for the day when Jesus, who died and rose again, is going to come back and pick us up and take us home. I long for that day. I, 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 I can hardly wait. But for years I have, and I'll just be honest with you, and if you know me, you know that what you see is what you get. I don't know how to play very many games and it, it's not, in my, it's not my, my personality. But for years... I was afraid of Jesus coming back because I didn't think, and I still don't know that I can make it through the time of trouble as described to me by all the books I read and my parents read to me as a kid. I don't know. I don't know if I can make it. But Christ can. That's exactly right. We focus, if you, well, let me, 
I worked, I, I grew up in Redding, California um, for many, many years. I mean, I think my parents lived in Redding for 45 years, and then they moved over to Brookings, Oregon. And, um, but we had a little place over on a, on a river, and when I say a little cabin, I mean four walls and, and an outhouse and maybe some running water in the kitchen. So it wasn't really, it wasn't amazing. Except that, that was our, our retreat from the 120 degrees in Redding on the, in the summer. And so my dad would work Monday through Thursday, and on Thursday evening, when it was over, when, when the work was over, we'd hop in the car, and we'd drive over, and we'd spend the weekend over in, over in Brookings in the cool weather, and we'd fish in the ocean, and we'd do all that fun stuff on, we'd only do it on Friday and Sunday. My parents, if the doors in the church were open on Sabbath, we were there. I mean, that's just the way it was, and that was cool. Um, but when I was 15, I applied to work at Leonie Meadows, and the rules have changed, and even at 15, I couldn't work there. So I got a job as a as a deckhand on a, on a salmon trawler out of Brookings. And I use salmon trawler because it sounds better than a 21-foot boat with two guys on it that, that we rode around the ocean a little bit. But my job was to steer and to clean fish. I had the best summer of my life after the first day. The first day, my, I got on the boat with my boss, and, and uh, he goes, all right, your job is to steer. You're, you're, to, you're to drive. And I'm like, okay. And so I was looking, at, looking ahead, and I was trying to look at the compass and keep straight. I was bobbing and weaving all over the place. And he goes, wait a minute. He goes, you're going to tangle up all the lines back there. Look. See that, that rock up there? Yeah. Or see whatever it was. That there, were, there were landmarks you could look at. He goes, look way ahead of you. Look way ahead and steer for it. Because if you look close and you see the waves and all the bumps and all of the stuff that's going to go along with it, we're going to be bobbing and weaving all over the place and our lines are going to get tangled. But when you look way out and you steer for way out, you're going to steer in a straight line. Guess what? He was right. It's one of the only things he was right about, but he was right about that. As we look to the second coming of Jesus... We can get so caught up in what's happening right now. My mom's been in the hospital for weeks. She's, she's finally out. My dad was in the hospital the next day afterwards. Grandma died a couple of weeks ago. Man, I could get really depressed. Life, you know, my life is, you know, could be pretty ugly right at the moment. But when I'm looking up, when I'm keeping my head up, and I'm looking straight ahead, looking for the, for the soon coming of Jesus... When I'm looking at the cross of Calvary and what Jesus did for me, for Eddie, and for you, then I don't have to get caught up in the little things that are happening. And I don't want to... Listen, in the big scheme of things, Grandma's in a lot better place right now. She's in the ground. And the next thing she knows is she's going to hear the voice of Jesus going, Esther Wood, come out. She's not going to have to see all the stuff that's going on. Her struggle is over. Amen. Yeah. The cross of Christ is so important and keeping focused on it will help us to get through this. Through this. How old is your second he's seven years old. He's yep, he's older. And he's a good kid. And he's, he, you know what's really funny? He's kind of figured out now he, he's always watching what his brother eats and he tells us if, if his brother doesn't tell us about something he's eaten. Which is really important, you know? And uh, you know, he's always reminded, hey, Dad, you didn't give him his pinch yet. I'm like, oh, man. That's what we call it. It's his pinch. It's his, it's, so um, 
Anyway, he, he's, a good, he's a good boy. He's a very good boy. All right, what time am I supposed to be done? I lost track of where I was at. I'm not preaching the sermon I brought this morning. 12.30? Yeah. Uh-huh. It's 12.05. I'm pretty sure I'm probably supposed to be wrapping it up about now. Oh, man. Romans 8, chapter 8 is another important one. Verses 1 through 4. It says, Therefore there now is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gave life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And he... And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might fully be met in us who do not live according to the flesh but live in according to the Spirit. Looking upon men in their suffering and degradation, Christ perceived ground for hope where appeared only despair and ruin. Wherever there existed a sense of need, there he, there he saw opportunity for uplifting. Souls tempted, defeated, feeling themselves lost, ready to perish, he met not with denunciation, but with a blessing. You know, I could get really discouraged, again, if I look at my life. I mean, I look pretty good this morning in my suit. Yeah, I don't put it on very often because I'm a youth pastor and doesn't really work well in most of my applications. But I think I look pretty good today. However, however, if, if you were to get out a magnifying glass and kind of magnify my life, you'd go, hmm, you got some work to do, Brother Heinrich. <laughs> and I'm sure if I got out my magnifying scope and went through your house, there'd be a few things that you'd need to clean out too. Jesus, when he went, who did Jesus hang out with? Prostitutes? Tax collectors? He hung out with the sinners. Never once did he raise his hand in anger or indignation against a sinner. The people that Jesus was angry at in righteous anger were the Pharisees, the the religious leaders, Uh, all the people that look good on Sabbath morning. All the people that look good on Sabbath morning. They were the people that Jesus raised his hand against, which is good news for me. And good news for you. And good news for the community at Fort Bragg. Jesus is looking for people who are willing to step out and tell their friends and their neighbors and their family members that Jesus loves them with an everlasting love. That first angel flying through the midst of the heavens saying, fear God and give him glory for the hour of his judgment has come. He also says, take the everlasting gospel and preach it to the entire world. He's saying, preach the good news of Jesus' death on the cross to the community. Preach it to the world. Preach it everywhere. That's the first angel's message is preach the good news to everybody. Everybody needs to know Jesus. Because, like they say, you can't preach to a hungry person. Because they're not going to listen when their stomach's growling. Now you feed somebody and they they might take a listen. Or if you help your neighbor out who, as you say, we're talking about that, that couple, that, they're, they're that guy that his house burned down. They're not going to listen to you right now unless you help them figure out how to find a house or clothing or food or you know, all of those things. 
There's a story told about a British soldier and a, an American soldier who, during Vietnam, were fighting together. And I, I'm not a real big history buff about Vietnam, so I don't know how it all worked. But these two soldiers, British, a British soldier and an American soldier, were fighting together out in the out in the jungle. A mortar landed very close to them, and it took about half of one of the soldier's body apart, completely gone, and it covered the other one in shrapnel. One, as, they, as the medevac was coming in, a rocket was launched and it was shot out of the sky, and so they were, they were out of luck. They were told that the only place for them to get medical assistance and to get evacuated was several miles away in a, in a more safe location. And the British soldier kind of half drug himself up, even though he was full of shrapnel, half his face was shot off. He, drug, he got, got himself up, reached down, and with all of his strength, grabbed onto the, to the shoulder and uniform of his American partner and started to drag him through, through the jungle. There was machine gun fire. There was all the stuff that goes along with a battle. And he started to drag him to where he knew there was going to be help. About halfway there, and by the way, I don't know if you've ever been hurt, but he was really bad hurt. Every, every movement was excruciating. Finally, about halfway there, the American soldier looked up at the British soldier and said, just leave me here to die. I'm going to die anyway. Just leave me here and go and save yourself. And the British soldier said, I didn't come this far to leave you here. So I'm going to take you and we're going to go. And they finally made it to the, to the medevac spot. They got on the chopper and they took off and went away. Both of them lived. So they were good friends. And several years later, across the pond, they, they communicated. And, and they found out that the British soldier had, had seizures that they couldn't predict when they were going to happen. So he couldn't work. He couldn't drive a car. He couldn't do anything except basically sit in his house and hope that he didn't have a seizure and hurt himself. The American soldier quit his job cashed out all of his, everything he had, went over there, and moved in with him. One day, they were on a, on a train, and uh, the person who wrote the story said they were, he, it was back in the, about enough long ago that he used to have compartments where you could kind of have a little bit of privacy. And so anyway, he got onto the, into this compartment. Here, these two soldiers, the, guy, the guys were sitting next to each other, and uh, he just kind of was, you know, I don't know about you, but I travel a lot, and I, I have tried so hard now to come, kind of go into my little cocoon and not notice what's going on around me because that's just how I travel. I don't, I don't want to talk to anybody. I just want to get in the plane or get on the whatever, and I want to go, and I want to get off, and then I'll be happy again, but traveling's not my deal. I mean, it is my deal. I do a lot of it, but I don't really want to. So anyway, so he was just kind of pretending to read a book while he was observing these two, two guys. And about 30 minutes into this train ride, the, the gentleman has a seizure. And his friend very lovingly and carefully lays him on the floor, reaches in, pulls out a, a wad of, of paper that was folded up and stuck it between his teeth, and just kind of took care of him while he had his seizure right there in the, in the car. When it was all over, helped him back up, got him all cleaned up. He looked across at this gentleman that was sitting there watching and said, you know, we're really sorry that this happened. Um, and, and he goes, no, no. He goes, this is amazing. He goes, I'm just, he goes, the care and dedication and love that you showed towards your buddy here is just outstanding. And then he told him the story that I just told you. 
Jesus has that kind of love for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And then God did not come to this world to condemn the world but to save the world. That is the message that our communities need to hear. They need to know that their Jesus loves them, that he wants to save them, and that he doesn't want to condemn them. And he also doesn't leave them where they're at. He takes them with him. And someday soon, I believe, Jesus is going to come back. And I hope that there is no seven-generation Adventist in my family. I want it to end with six. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we cannot even begin to comprehend what it it must have been like long before you created us, you and your Father and the Holy Spirit sat down and had this conversation about what what might happen if you created us sinners. Well, but you actually created us perfect and we chose to sin. And yet, instead of zapping us and starting over, you came to this earth and you lived and you died so that we might have life. This morning, we invite you into our hearts again today. And we ask you to change us. And we ask you to give us the courage and the strength to tell everybody in our community everybody that we come in contact with through our life and through our words, that you are alive and well, that you love them with an everlasting love, and that you're coming back. Bless us now, I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. I hear the Savior say, thy strength indeed is small, child of weakness watch and pray, find in me thine all in all, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. Lord, now indeed I find thy power and thine change the leper spots and melt the heart of stone. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as Since nothing good have I, where 
thy grace to claim. I'll wash my garments white in the blood of Calvary's Lamb. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as the throne I stand in him complete I'll lay my trophies down all down at Jesus feet Jesus paid it all all to him I owe sin left a crimson stain he washed it white as snow let's bow our heads father in heaven we thank you so much for this service uh, for the message you shared with us today i just ask that you would please go with us now as we leave here bless and keep us we pray in jesus name amen